Hey everyone, welcome to episode 28 of the Antler Up podcast. And on today's episode, Dimitri and I are joined by Utah resident Weston Snyder. In this episode, Weston shares with us some awesome elk hunting stories, some tips for coming out west for that first time, and the right gear needed to be in the backcountry. Uh, we really enjoyed talking to Weston. Uh, we had a great pleasure to have him on. And what's really cool is before you get into it, you'll hear that Weston is actually from Pennsylvania. Uh, he moved around uh, to Indiana and then he finally popped shot up in West in, in Utah. And it was actually uh, his, his passion of getting out there to chase some elk. Uh, and man, I'm telling you, he is going to share some awesome stories where he was able to punch five elk tags in the last six years. So a very successful hunter. Loved having him on to talk uh, shop with him a little bit. And uh, I think you guys and girls will enjoy this one, get something out of it. And uh, thank you again for all of you for your continued support, especially thank you to those of you that have continued to buy hats and uh, some of our stickers. Uh, we got some more stuff coming out to you for fall. Uh, so we're really looking forward to, to seeing what, what, what uh, we continue to come out with. So thank you again for all the support. If you like what you hear, make sure you go subscribe and uh, leave that positive review. It helps us out a lot. And thank you so much to all of our uh, continued uh, support from all our partners. They're amazing. Please go check them out over on our website. It'll bring, bring you right to their website to see what they have. Uh, some awesome gear coming from them. Onyx is the number one hunting app that allows you to know exactly where you stand. It's been instrumental for us preparing for our out-of-state hunts this fall. Although we haven't been able to get boots to the ground in most of the states, we've had a really good idea of what to expect come fall. We love using the waypoints and setting them, sending them to our friends that live nearby to help us out when they go out and scout and give us some direct intel. And Dimitri and I even use this when we uh, are hunting here in central Pennsylvania, whether it be for turkey, bear, whitetail, uh, we send waypoints to each other all the time. There's many more awesome features for Onyx and uh, for man for $30. I'm sure this is the one tool that you're going to use mostly uh, this hunting season. So go to onyxmaps.com and download the number one hunting app. If you're in need of a new pair of hunting boots this fall, I highly encourage you to take a look at the First Light Obsidian Pan. They are made out of merino wool, silent, odor resistant, and comfortable from 100 degrees to a late season. I wore them all uh, a lot during the whitetail season last fall. I wore them every single time I went out for turkey this spring, scouting, uh, and I'll wear them too when I get out to Utah. Amazing quality, amazing product, awesome people. Go check them out over at firstlight.com. And let's talk broadheads and Sever just released their brand new TI 2.0, which is an updated version from their 2.1. Uh, you know, you see the new swept back blade angle, which is re-engineered deployment arm geometry. And at two inches cutting diameter, this results in a 15% more efficient penetration than the original 2.1. And all the uh, original ferrules that you have will accept a 2.0 replacement blade. So if you have ferrules already and you want that swept back to get that new penetration, Man, then just buy the blades. Uh, you get three in a set for like $17.99. So check them on out over at severbroadheads.com. And for my bow setup, the two great quality products that I'm running on them, uh, American made, are my Platinum Series strings from America's Best Bow Strings and my Stokerized M1 Hunter 14 Stabilizer. Strings are simply amazing with the quality and performance. The micro diameter stabilizer is perfect for eliminating vibration. I personally noticed the benefits of these specific stabilizer and strings. Um, you know, even when I shoot with my quiver on for the stabilizer, and I've had zero issues with the strings. So both products are 
made here in the USA. Check the M1 series out over at stokerize.com and the Platinum Series strings over at americasbestbowstrings.com. Again, thank you everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's show uh, that we did with Weston. And until next time, antler up. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Antler Up podcast. And today, Dimitri and I are joined by Weston Snyder. Weston, how you doing, buddy? Good, how are you? Good, man. Uh, thank you for coming on again. I know we just mentioned it off air, but uh, I'm really looking forward to you sharing your story, kind of picking your brain about coming from uh, our side of the, the world and, and to where you're living now. So let's dive right into it, Weston. Tell us who you are, where you're coming from, and uh, how you got into hunting. Yeah, so um, I'm originally from northwestern Pennsylvania, small town outside of Erie called Albion. Um, you know, just grew up hunting with, uh, with my, you know, my, my dad and close family members. You know, got into hunting whitetail, small game, a lot of duck hunting. Um, and then as I got into college, um, graduated from college and decided to get out of Pennsylvania to kind of explore a little bit. So ended up moving to Indianapolis. Um, and uh, just continue to hunt whitetail out there, and and then um, in 2015 is when I I got the first taste of western hunting. I uh, made a trip out to Colorado with my uncle, and you know he had he had uh, known of a place, and and he he hadn't hunted it in like seven or ten years, but you know I wanted to go, so he went with me, and we kind of just. Uh, Wung it pretty much and got out there about a week before the season started and did a bunch of scouting around and um, I was lucky enough to kill my bull out there the first year I went with my bow you know over the counter tag and um, there's no looking back after that so <laughs> no I bet um, man that's pretty awesome first year going out there and just doing your homework for a week with, with your uncle and boom knocking down that first bull that that was probably really exciting I know uh, I want to hear a little bit more later on a little bit about that, but you know, coming from here and keep going with, uh, from, uh, a little bit about uh, growing up hunting. Yeah. So, I mean, I just, you know, I mean, you guys know back East, yeah, a lot of tree stand hunting, just, you know, hunting food sources, travel routes during, during the rut and, um, you know, just trying to shoot some big whitetail. And I was content with that. And I always thought, you know, Western hunting was something that, you know, was, not as attainable as it really, if you, if you do it the right way, it's affordable for people back East. I know it's kind of intimidating. It was intimidating to me when I first went out, but you know, you just have to kind of go for it and you don't know if you don't go. So, um, I mean, it was, uh, just taking a lot of the stuff you learn, just the basics. And then it's a little different style. I mean, you're not sitting in tree stands and stuff like that, but you know, you still got to play the wind and all that good stuff. So, just building off of the, you know, the basics you learn back east and then just learn some more tricks as you go, kind of build that arsenal up where, you know, you can use them to your advantage. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I started hunting when, I mean, I was hunting, but I was going with my dad at least. I think when I started when I was like six years old and, you know, in PA, we can't start shooting anything until we're 12, but, um, I think they've changed that rule a little bit now, but yeah, just getting, getting into whitetail hunting and then, I love duck hunting, working with dogs. We raised and bred labs my entire life growing up. So uh, we were big duck hunters and hunting nasty Lake Erie in late season. So yeah, it was just a, it was a good, good place to grow up in a small town, but we had a lot of fun. 
So can you tell us a little bit about that first trip? Let's dive a little bit deeper into that when you went out with your uncle. What were your expectations going out west for the first time to Colorado and um, a little bit about that experience when you finally got out there? Yeah, so um, when we, uh, it kind of was, it's kind of funny how it all came about. Um, we, uh, so the company I was working for, I was working at a chemical plant in Indianapolis and they were making us take a mandatory vacation the last week of August, first week of September. So I was trying to figure out, I wanted to go do some hunting. And I actually was planning on going to South Dakota on an antelope hunt because that could have, I could have hunted the whole time with the way the season lined up. And so I couldn't get any buddies to go with me. No one wanted to go hunt antelope, and, you know, somewhere they'd never been before. And I was, I was getting ready to go by myself. And uh, I just called my uncle and was like, hey, would you uh, want to go on an antelope hunt with me? He's like, yeah, sure, let's go. And he was ready to, you know, ready to do that. And he called me back a couple of days later. I'm like looking into South Dakota and, you know, getting all that. And he's like, why don't we just go elk hunting? And I'm like, well, the season doesn't start until like the, I can't remember what day it started that year, maybe the 28th or 29th of September. And I wanted to hunt the whole time, you know. Right. And he's like, well, let's just go a week early, scout, and then you hunt the first week and see how it goes all right, looks like we're going elk hunting instead. So I switched gears and just, I mean, I read every article I could get my hands on, you know, Eastman. Um, I got on YouTube, watched every elk video they had probably. Um, started playing around with calls and um, yeah, so like basically when we got there that opening week, you know, he, he hadn't hunted there in a long time. And so he's, he's like, man, we, we saw some elk here. And like, but it was basically, I just, Burn up boot leather. I covered, I think the first day I was there, I was just so excited. I think I hiked 18 miles that first day, just covering ground and, um, and then, uh, just going to different areas. Uh, it was, let me see here. It was the, I want to say we saw some cows, um, when we were scouting. And then two days before season, I had, I was sitting up on this ridge glassing before dark. I had three bulls come out. And they all kind of started sparring, and they were probably 500 yards away. I was just watching them from a ridge, and they were down, coming out of these thick pines and coming into these little meadows that were kind of sprinkled throughout. And so um, the day before the season, I kind of came in from the other direction and was glassing some other areas, and I actually had a bull come out and feeding. I got some video of it somewhere. Um, he came out and fed last hour of dark, about 120 yards from me. He was, you know, respectable five by five, but I didn't have. You know, I wasn't going in there to shoot a 300, four, you know, 300 inch bull. I was going to shoot. I'd love to shoot a bull, but cow spike. You know, I think uh, actually no, you couldn't shoot spike in Colorado, but you could shoot a cow or a bull and had that four on one side. Right. And so I was just like, you know, the first thing I get a crack at that's legal, I'm gonna I'm gonna let it rip. But um, so the day for opening day came and and uh, I ended up jumping that same. I'm pretty sure it was that same bull. I he busted me that opening morning but um long story short we, we can dive into it here but um i ended up killing a, one of those three bulls that uh, i ended up blasting two days before season started on the september 2nd or 3rd if i remember right so like three or three days in the season four days in the season something like that when you think about the, that specific hunt and and that success story what was the one thing that you think really contributed to being able to get in on that bull and to and basically arrow arrow him so definitely the first year was the scouting that that week of scouting before i mean you can read so much online and you know 
the bad thing about watching a lot of those videos and, you know, um, all those pre-modes videos where they're hunting private ranches, and this isn't to deter people, but that's not what over-the-counter public land hunting is. I mean, you, you know, you think you go out west, you, you're going to hear these bulls screaming, and you just go towards the screams, you know? Yeah. Which you will hear bulls bugling when, when the timing is right. But um, biggest thing was I covered a lot of ground just looking for sign. You know, I found a wallow some fresh tracks, you know, fresh crap, um, just kept covering ground. So I had like some core areas that I had seen a lot of elk sign in that I just kind of kept bouncing back in between those areas. And I knew if I just kept hitting those spots and just not, I didn't want to stay in just one spot and just burn it out. And then, you know, you get your scent in there and then you don't get to see other country as well. And that was part of it was a, a just trying to learn as much the first trip I went out there as I could. Right. And um, so, yeah, I'd say definitely just the covering the ground and scouting was the biggest, biggest part. And, you know, nowadays with, you know, Onyx and, and Google Earth was my best friend. You can you can do a lot without actually setting foot on there. But then that's when you really get the good details of covering the ground and, and figuring out where little honey holes and secret pockets are at, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, for, you know, how you said your expectations going in were, you know, anything that was going to be legal for you, you wanted to have that opportunity because you want to experience it. So, so far from that whole story is something where Dimitri and I have that same mentality coming from where we're coming in with the mindset of, listen, let's go experience this. Let's enjoy it. Let's give everything mm -hmm. that we have uh, to put a mule deer down and have that opportunity, but at the same time experience it and really just go in with that expectation of, of really just experience it in general. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not necessarily to kill something or to, to put a deer down, but necessarily let's just go and experience it. Let's have fun. Let's learn right. from our mistakes. Kind of like what you said, you're in there and you know, they caught your wind. So that transition, I mean, I think, for for any hunter out there is going to be going in there with okay we're coming in out there for the first time and like you said the the skills that you use here in pennsylvania hunting whitetail you know it's the same thing like you said it's all about playing to win and and you know not mocking mucking everything up now when you talk about that experience what was the pressure like from un other hunters or um you know since you were there that week prior to to, to kind of scout around did you have to go find new spots or or uh, anything like that um in that area it because i was there the first week um it wasn't too bad that first year and honestly i've been there i've been to that spot three three times now uh, in the past five years and i've been lucky enough to kill three bulls there with my bow um but it just depends um sometimes uh the colorado season it overlaps with muzzleloader season um for a couple weeks there in the middle of the season so once that overlap happens, you will see more more people around. Then you just have to get creative. And um, one of the – it was almost by – well, it was that first year I kind of discovered this one spot. Um, I didn't kill my bull there the first year, uh, but I did hear my first bugle the day before I killed my bull in this area. And um, I had two different bulls were bugling, and I was, you know, calling to them, and they were responding – and unfortunately, a mule deer doe decided to stroll into the meadow and walk, I mean, right up to me. And she started blowing. And as soon as she started blowing and tearing out a ruckus, they didn't make a peep the rest of the evening. So, um, but that place I ended up revisiting um, 
the following year. And then I hadn't hunted it again. So that was in 2015. I hunted the first year, killed my bull. 2016, killed my second bull. And then I didn't go back there until last year. Um, just because I just moved out to Utah and was trying to figure Utah out. And um, had some friends want to come out and hunt Utah. So I was working with those guys. And um, went back this year, went back into that area. And I ended up killing the bull I killed this year. He died probably within 100 yards where I killed that second bull I ever killed there. That's an awesome so, story, man. Holy cow. And, and it's just, it's a place where you look at it on the map and be like, no, like, no, no, that's not. Because it's super steep off the one side, but those elk don't care because there's where it's, it's super steep, super thick, but they love working that little edge where they can drop down into safety. But then when they want to come up and feed and rut, they come up out of that. We call it the abyss. And they come up out of there. And if you catch them at the right time, uh, it can be phenomenal. And I've had some really good encounters and some, some good bugling and stuff all around that area. So um, that place is not secret. <laughs> <laughs> You're not giving any waypoints for that one, are you? No, no that one's the, <laughs> that one's the spot that you take friend. If I take a friend with me, they go in and blindfolded. <laughs> now, would you say after you killed that first elk, you you were kind of thinking? this is what I want to do now? Or, you know, did you say, ah, this is something I'll do year to year before you moved out there? Or were you kind of like, I'm done with whitetail. I'm moving out West. This is what I want to be hunting and pursuing. After the first year, um, I was definitely like, okay, every year I'm coming out here. I'm taking all my vacation. I'm going to do this every year. That was the original game plan. So the second year I went out, did the same thing, still living and working in Indianapolis. And after I killed my second bull, um, actually before that season started back in so in June, they announced that the, the plant I was working for, that they were going to um, close the plant and shift the, oh, they shipped the job overseas and they opened a plant over in China. And so I knew that that was going to be, like I was done working there in November of that, that same year of 2016. So... I kind of tossed around the idea of, of maybe moving out west. And um, then I went that second year. And so the first bull that first year, I called him in, but he came in silent. I had no, like, I just wanted to call because that's what you, you know, you go elk hunting, you want to call. So, and I had a bugle up to that point, And I'm like, you know what? It's an hour before dark. I'm going to rip a bugle off just to see what happens. I bugle, nothing happens. And then I'm looking around five minutes later kind of like looking behind me and I look out and that bull is in the meadow already looking around trying to find where I'm at but he didn't he came in dead silent so fast forward to the second year first four days we were there we didn't hear a peep and didn't even see an elk and my one buddy good buddy that took with me he I'm starting to think that he doesn't he's gonna think I'm crazy I'm like I know there's elk here well that fourth evening we were there I finally heard some bugles and that next morning, you know, I go back and we split up that evening. We, he went and sat a water hole and I was going to sit a water hole that I'd seen in the previous year, but it was dried up. So I ended up going a little bit deeper in, heard him bugling, hiked back to camp. We met back up next morning, went in, I called that bull in and we had him dead within an hour and a half of daylight. That's awesome. Now, Wes, so, yeah. you, you just, you just talked about, you know, you had your buddy out there. You didn't hear anything, didn't see anything for four to five days. How do you not let that kind of 
kill the mood or, you know, not get to you mentally that, you know, you're like, okay, because you, you know, like you said, you know, there were elk in there because you hunted, hunted there before all that information. Mm -hmm. So how do you not get, you know, defeated mentally, uh, with that? I think a big thing was, um, because I was coming from east from the east, it's like, look, I know I have a limited time here. So those days where you're trying to get tired and wore out a little bit, those are the ones you almost need to hunt the hardest because it seems like right when you're like on that edge of like, man, maybe we switch areas completely. Do we, it seems like right then is when you catch a break. And, um, I think that actually, that helped coming from the east yeah. was, look, we've got 10 days to hunt. And after that, it's, if you don't kill something or don't have a good hunt, all you're going to do the entire year until you, or maybe a couple of years, if you don't make it back every year is what could I have done different? Well, maybe if I wouldn't have slept in that day, that would have been the day. Oh, I would have hiked a little bit deeper. I might have, you know, the what if are the ones that keep you up at night. So if you're going, I mean, go for it. You know what I mean? I mean, you spend the money, especially as a non-resident, the tags are expensive. The, the trip out there can be expensive. Just, you know, the driving, the, what is it? 28 hours from PA or something like that. You know, it's like, if you're going to do it, I mean, just go for it hundred percent. And then if you, if you still don't end up successful, Hey, you did everything you could and that's fine. It's, it's not easy. Right. That's what, you know, a lot of people come out and they, they watch all the videos and full streaming and this, that, and, you know, it's not, it's not like that. It, it happens, but you, you, I mean, you really got to look because, People that live out there, they hunt those areas every year. You know what I mean? Yep. So you, you almost got to try a little harder than the locals do. Well, so. that, and that's the thing too, I, I think, to what I personally went through here uh, hunting whitetail the past couple seasons. Now, this past season, I had a ton of success, uh, whether it was uh, filling tags and uh, uh, learning and doing all that stuff. Whereas the previous maybe two years prior to that, you know, I struggled. Like I, I messed up some hunts. I, you know, whether I got on deer and I shot and I missed uh, and those type of opportunities. And like you said, you beat yourself up a little bit and it's the what if game. Uh, right. but, but then it's last year, I, you know, I credit a lot to, you know, what we're doing even now, just talking to people, listening to podcasts, getting boots on the ground, you know, really picking Dimitri's brain apart a little bit when it comes to, uh, like off season work, when it gets to scouting, like even with the e-scouting and going out and, and actually putting boots on the ground. So I, I kind of agree, like how you said it, like if you come out here with that mentality, uh, you know, you just kind of got to go for it and, and give it all you got. And again, that's where right now our mindset is. I, I know when we get there and be in the moment, maybe things could change and you just got to kind of go back to it and be like, look, we're, we're here for a reason. Let's go and enjoy it and, and give it all we can. But man, that's one thing that I could really relate to just because of exactly what I personally went through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You just in that never, never quit attitude, especially like, you know, you guys are coming out and you're going to have a good time. I mean, seeing the country out here, it's just, it's, it's unreal. I mean, I, I took a little trip up to the, uh, I didn't get to go in as deep as I wanted to where you guys are going to be headed, but I hadn't been over there before until last weekend. And I think you're going to have a good hunt. It looks, it looks pretty nice. So there's a lot more Aspen over in that area. And I, and I do like hunting the Aspen. So I was like, Oh man, like, these guys, these guys got to pick a good little area out. So, <laughs> and like I said, I didn't, you know, we, we exchanged some information and I saw where you guys kind of were looking. 
And I didn't, like I said, I didn't get as deep as you guys are going to head that day. But yeah, you guys are, I think you're in a good area. That's you know, good from to hear. What I've, I've seen so far. So. Well, I think that's what the, the hardest thing for me is going to be when we get out there. I think we're going to be like, we have five days of hunting. Let's go, let's go, go, go and push, push, push. When realistically we need to sit there and just enjoy the landscape. And, you know, we're looking at stuff that, you know, not a lot of people got to see and, and personally experience. So just sit back and enjoy it and hunt hard. But, you know, I think there's that added pressure of, I got five days, I spent all this money. It came out here go, go, go. And each day it builds up when realistically, I mean, you're having the time of your life, you're doing a dream hunt, you know, and, and yep. harvesting something's kind of the, the last thing should be on your mind, but just enjoying the experience and, and, you know, just sitting there and the views are, you know, picture perfect and worth, you know, a million dollar view. And I think that's what you got to kind of tell yourself and take in and make it realistic when you're there. Yeah. hundred mm-hmm. percent. And the biggest thing out West, that I mean, I know you guys will, will know this. We you know we talked about wind a little bit. I almost wind is almost. I don't want to say this. Um, thermal, or what you need to pay attention to a little bit more than wind, in my opinion, because those are the things that'll get you. You know, because because the wind can be a little erratic, but those thermals are pretty consistent if you play them right. And I don't know how much you guys have dove into thermals, but you know, um, in the evenings when the sun starts to go down those thermals will switch and start going downhill and then in the morning as the sun's coming up they'll still be going downhill until that sun comes up hits that hillside and then warms that hillside up and then they'll switch so um let's see 2018 um my buddy marcus which i know Dimitri, you know he came out with me and um we glassed up a, a really nice five by six a spike and a four by four across this canyon and this canyon to cross was not fun but <laughs> i knew the thermals were coming down still because we, we saw them you know pretty early in the morning so we beat feet down into the into this thick steep canyon came up underneath the elk because if we would have tried to circle around of them on above them we would have been we've been screwed that wind would have killed us but got lucky enough and got below them and had the, the five by six cross and, and the spike at about 80 yards, but it was real thick. It was a new, it was a uh, old burn area. So it was all that thick new growth. And so I just started cow calling and that four by four sur- tried circling downwind of us. And I was trying to get Marcus to shoot him, but he didn't have a clear shot. So we're supposed to stand there at full draw. I'm sitting there, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him. And he couldn't. And that bull started getting a little, you know, sketchy. So I just leaned forward and let him have it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, had we not busted our butts down in that canyon and up, it, it, we would have never had a chance. So, uh, when you get opportunities like that, you just got to go for it, you know, cause that could have probably nine times out of 10 that, that, that didn't, wouldn't have worked out. But, you know, we freaking ran down that canyon as quick as we could and got up there and, and elk are noisy animals. So us walking, as long as we kept the cow calling going they were curious and that one was curious enough where he came right in he was like 32 yards when i shot him so the the funny side story here about marcus is we're mutual friends with marcus i met marcus in college i remember he transferred to edinburgh i think that was in the spring semester and he he was on the football team and i remember we had a mutual class together that first first day and he was sitting next to me and we started talking and 
uh, we were both into hunting and we kind of, you know, gradually talked about it a little bit more. And he goes, yeah, I actually live like five miles from campus and I have a farm that I hunt and we hang tree stands so you can come join me. And I was sitting there thinking in my head, did we just become best friends? I think so. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, he's a, he's a good one to know. And I tell you what, I, I love hunting with Marcus for the simple fact that, um, you know, coming out West, it's the air center. Um, it's steep terrain. And he could be tired as hell, but he's never going to complain. He doesn't say, you know, so he, you know, at the end of the day, he might be like, well, that was a rough one or something like that. But he is a bull. Like when, when we were packing that elk out that I killed with him that year, he did not die in a fun place to get him out of. And I was like thinking, I'm like, I'm glad he was with me. Cause I don't know many other, of my buddies that would have been, able, you know, able to get him out of there with me. So <laughs> that's why, I mean, he's a, he's a good one to have, uh, you know, hunt with and, and we've hunted i can't remember when we started hunting together but we've known each other a long time and yeah he gets it done every year too i mean back east you know now does your strategy change at all whether you're going solo or maybe you have someone else with you does that change at all or whether you set up while you're calling do you do anything differently usually yeah so um a little bit it's definitely easier especially with elk if you've got two people um, you obviously put the shooter out front, the collar behind and keep the, the elk distracted with the collar and they don't even know the, uh, shooters there. Now two, let's see, um, two of my bulls I killed by myself and two of them I killed, um, with a friend there, but only, but neither one of them, I, I had my buddies calling for me, um, which is kind of funny. Um, I actually, I actually called all four of them in. Um, just because both of the buddies that were with me when I killed them was, was there from back East. So they just, you know, hadn't had a lot of experience calling, but I like to, especially if I'm alone, if it's early in the season, I might do a little cow calling, but like the, if we start here, at, um, I think August 15th is our opener this year. So it's earlier than most states. So like the first week or two, I'll go sit water, you know, and it's boring. And you're just sitting there. I mean, it's, it's like white tail hunting sort of. Um, I'll, I'll hike around in the mornings usually to see if I can catch anything transitioning up to bed. But in the evenings, I'll just go sit some water or if I, you know, if I see them using a, a ridge or something where they come down and transition into a feeding area, then yeah, I might go sit over there. But um, last year, uh, I didn't get to, I, my buddy had a limited entry tag. So I basically hunted him with him the whole season. And But early in the season before it got good, um, I sat some water holes and I passed on a ton of cows and spikes. And I mean, I'm not shooting an elk in Utah. But that was fine because I didn't get one in Colorado, so I wasn't too upset about that. But, um, yeah, definitely as the season you get into the – after September hits, I, I start getting a little more aggressive with my calling. Um, you know, I don't like to go rip bugles off, bugles off every five minutes, but you got to throw them out there. Um, a lot of people say, you know, certain people say, you know, don't – you know, you, people bugle too much. But, I mean, if you get – if you bugle and you get that bull that responds, you got a good chance of calling him in, especially if he's pissed. You know what I mean? And you can kind of judge it with like the way he bugles. Like if you bugle and three minutes go by and then, then he bugles, like, okay, he's not too fired up, but you might be able to get him there. And if you bugle and he rips right back at you, well, now you're in the game. You know what I mean? Right. So that's awesome. Now, when, now when you talked about like calling and, and setting up and everything, what's the one thing that you've learned, um, 
that maybe you were kind of surprised about as far as calling like the wet, like Western style animals and, and, and that type of stuff. How quick they can get in. <laughs> um, that's the, that's the big one. Like this year, um, I went, so I went for, um, I'm trying to think it was like the second week of the season in the second week of September in Colorado. And it was like the second morning we were there. I think my buddy was with me and, um, I heard a bull bugle and I couldn't exactly tell where he was at. So I called back to him and he responded. So I'm like, okay, he, he sounds like he's still far enough. So we start working up the edge of this meadow and there was a little, little like rise in the center of the meadow. Well, we're working up the edge of the meadow. I'm like, as soon as we get to the back corner of this meadow, I'll call again. I look up and there's pines coming up over the top of the bridge or the little, you know, knoll there. And I'm like, get down. So we just dove into the brush. And he was a beautiful six by six. I mean, it would have been the biggest bull that I'd ever killed if we would have been able to get that one done. But he came right, I mean, right out in the middle of the meadow. And it was like within a couple minutes. I mean, it, it, it he covered so much ground. I couldn't believe it. And actually, so we, he walked off. We looped downwind of him, did a big loop kind of the, below the direction he was headed. Ended up calling him back in to 25 yards, but it was too thick. And I couldn't get a shot. Um, and, and then they know, it, you know, he tried, he was trying to get downwind of me, right. but he didn't quite make it. Had he kept coming, I think I could have got a shot off on him before he winded me, but he stood there in the brush and just raked. I mean, for like 10, 15 minutes. And then he finally just got bored and walked off. Uh, and then we ended up calling him back in that evening. And here's the thing is if you, especially with elk, if, um, You've got a caller. So I put my buddy out in front of me and he, we, he was bugling before dark and he started coming. Well, my buddy cow called. Well, as soon as he cow called, the bull changed his, you know, okay, he's like, wait a minute. Now there's a cow here. So he circled downwind, busted in and busted out of there. Um, but we ended up right last light. I think it was him and then another bull. We ended up calling back in, but then we ran out of daylight and those two were screaming at each other and we had to sit there in the dark for like an hour before they left and we had to walk out as quietly as we could with our headlamps off. So we didn't spook them. Um, but yeah, they're, those, those more mature bulls are, they're not dumb. They don't get big for, you know, for no reason. Yep. Um, and some smaller ones like spike, I, we've had spikes come, we'll run right up to you. And it's just like, look at you, you know? Yep. And, um, which is still a lot of fun just seeing, but seeing the difference between how a young bull and a, a more mature bull react to calling and how they approach, you know, always got to have that wind in your favor. That's the same thing with whitetails. I mean, <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, it's it's funny because this past year for myself, there was only I only had really one or two opportunities that I think like when I was doing a little blind calling as far as going for with whitetail. Uh, one of them just brought in like the spiker, like right on the line. You know, just came in like you just comical and then uh mm -hmm. another one i saw a whitetail is actually uh an area where dimitri and i hunted um, a bunch of times already this past year and uh it was actually a, a, a little 10 i i know that's kind of sounds funny but the way his rack was he i mean he had 10 points but he big body deer but it, the 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 headgear didn't match kind of the rest of, of what he had going on and he was walking by and i actually gave it was right during the rut i already was tagged out so i was just hunting for for a doe at the time and i gave uh, a doe bleat and that was the legit first time that i really ever tried doing a doe bleat of any sort like mm -hmm. it was all it's always either like rattling and a couple grunts here and there but uh and he came in on on a pretty 
nice uh, little string as well. I mean, my tag was filled, so it was just kind of getting footage of him uh, on camera. Mm -hmm. So, but so yeah, that that sounds like a really cool thing to do. And I, you know, that's the one thing I always you hear out west, and you know, you hear people like you said, it's either what some people say call, and other people are reserved when they call, or however they see fit. And uh, I guess mm -hmm. it's kind of like what works for you, and and that's really cool. And when you talk about that area of Weston. Do you use any trail cameras or uh, I know you, you talk about like putting boots on the ground and scouting, but are you using anything as far as trail cameras are concerned? So yeah, last year I went in there, um, say it was mid June and I hung two trail cameras and honestly it was when I got in there and checked them, I was a little disappointed. I got a, a couple of small bulls and a few cows, but nothing. I mean, I think that's the type of area they go to when they start getting just a little bit of pressure because they know it's thick, it's not fun. So we're going to go back in, um, actually in two weeks, I'm going to go down to Colorado and hang some cameras down there again, slightly alter it, you know, different areas, but still not terribly far off of where I'll be hunting. And uh, I, I did hang three trail cameras last weekend. Squad I hung out, hung out in Utah. I put two on water holes and one on a nice little, just a little flat. It's a good transition area out of some thick bedding cover down into some open hillsides. So um, I still have a, I've been hanging trail cams for deer. My buddy um, just outside the city, uh, he's got a few spots. We put some cameras up there and um, I still have a bunch more to hang. I just need to get after it. But yeah, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to make a trip down to Colorado and um, hang some more cameras down there and, and see if we can't, uh, hopefully I had, I saw two really nice six points in there last year and I'm, Fingers crossed, one or both of them made it through the season, and uh, we can get lucky and they kind of do the same thing that they've done in the past, and we can get on them. But I do hang quite a few trail cameras. Uh, last year, between me and my buddy, he had limited tag. I think we had oh eight, eight or ten over there, and I had like just a couple up in the area that I hunt, um, just because we were focusing mainly on trying to get him a bull. But, but yeah, I definitely use a trail camera, and. Uh, to use that to your advantage you know now when you're hunting colorado and out of state how many days do you plan i mean is it something you're hitting maybe a little bit in the mid or the beginning of the season mid-season then late season or is it something where you maybe take a whole week just one time of year to hit a spot out of state yeah so that's that that was original the original game plan um i had been just hitting it for about seven to ten days depending on how much time i have um that i can get off um, last year though, I hunted it for a week. We had some really close calls and just couldn't get it done. And, um, I was driving home, uh, the last day I was there and, uh, I was bummed out because we had some really, really close opportunities and a couple just didn't work out. And, uh, I was talking to my dad on the phone and I'm like, yeah, next weekend's the last weekend. I should just come back down. He's like, no, nah, you hunted hard. Like, you know, you, you know, just you're good. You know, don't go back down there. Cause I'd be, I would have been by myself and, you know, get home. The girlfriend's like, yeah, you know, you've been hunting a lot, just, you know? And I was like, no, I gotta, like, I gotta go one more weekend. And it was, that was one of my favorite bulls I killed. He's my second biggest, but it's one of my most memorable ones because everybody was like, ah, you know, don't do it. And I got off Thursday. So I was at the time I was working Monday through Thursday, four ten, And, um, I got off work Thursday, had my truck packed. It's about a six, six and a half hour drive down to the town that I go to. And then it's about a two hour drive up the mountain. 
from there. By the time I parked my truck, it was 2.30 in the morning. Um, so it would be Friday morning. And I just pulled my sleeping bag on in the, in the front seat and just crashed out for two hours. Well, by 8 o'clock in the morning, I had that bull killed Friday morning. So, and I was back in, it was funny, I was even in Colorado for 24 hours. I drove down there, got in, took a nap, went in, had him killed by 8 a.m., had him packed up, packed out. Um, good thing is, the lucky thing for me was I knew a guy that was hunting up there, so he gave me a hand getting him out of there. And um, I was back in Salt Lake by midnight, Friday night going into Saturday morning. So um, it was it was pretty cool. I need that, that lucky rabbit foot. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, I think you just started. I think you should What's start that? a guiding service with uh, how many bulls you've killed and only been out there a limited number of years. Yeah, yeah, four bulls in five years. The only year I didn't kill a bull was the first year I moved to Utah, and that was a big, a big learning learning year because I had never hunted Utah before, and um, uh, I. I made a mistake that year though. I passed on a four by four, um, pretty early in the season. And that was a mistake. And you learn that as you go, like, you know, kind of like, okay, I want to shoot something bigger. Well, you take what the mountain gives you. That's what my, uh, my dad's neighbor who, who's been out, he's been out West uh, quite a few times that you give, you take what the mountain gives you, especially on over the counter units. You know what I mean? Now, if you draw a limited tag or you're hunting, private ranch or something now that changes things but yeah so that was a lesson hard learned but um yeah after that there's not many things that get passed for me if they come into range well and i know marcus has told me a couple times that he's been out and you guys been on elk even when he's been out there i think he's missed a couple yep yep (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh the first year he came out um we got a cow in range and, and he put one right over her back. And then, um, the second, not to throw Marcus under the bus. I, he hunts hard and I know, uh, this, this is heartbreaking for him, but, um, he'll get one. I know we'll get him one, but, uh, the, the second year he came out, um, I got, it was probably one of the most action packed bugle fests I've ever got into. Um, my buddy has this little honey hole that we, you know, he, he liked Marcus. So, he took us in there and we got this bull fired up and he was pissed. I mean, me and him probably bugled back and forth each other 30 times and Marcus is out in front and my buddy's raking a tree and I'm bugling at him and we're cutting, he's cutting me off. So I'm cutting him back off. And I mean, he's fired up. So he comes all of a sudden we see him coming through the junipers and he's a beautiful six point on his right side. And then on his left side is like kind of deformed. He's, a, he's only at four points, but he's got a big front. And then his left antler kind of like boxed out. And then he had a, where his, so he only had the one front. So he had a nice third and then just a big old whale tail, like a cool looking bull. And he's walking right at us. And me and my buddy are like hiding in this little juniper tree. And we're like, holy shit, this is going to happen. Like he's walking right in front of Marcus. And, and yeah, Marcus just, I mean, I don't, you know, it, it happened. He, he just, he just missed. And, and, uh, it was a bummer. But I mean, as far as 80% of the hunt was, perfect you know what i mean and um but yeah not to throw that back at him but you know he was bombed and and it, it, it's hunting though i mean i've i've the biggest whitetail i've ever taken a shot at i hit and never recovered so you know it, it happens it's hunting if you hunt long enough it's going to happen and 
it's just completely different out west. Like being hunting out east and being in a tree stand, and you know you you see him coming a little farther off. You get that time to kind of okay, he's gonna come through here. I got some time. This bull, when he decided he was coming, I mean he was he was coming. You know what I mean? So um, it just happened quick. So those things happen, but. I know he's he's chomping at the bit to get back out here and, and we'll get him on one for sure so now Weston, i want to switch gears just a little bit because i want to ask you this and you this will be about six years now that you've been out there and, and at first you wanted to go out for antelope and now you you fell in love with with hunting elk and you moved out there how did you learn the terrain uh like the different of like difference between like where where the elk or mule deer are are during certain times times a year to like when they're starting to go uh you know during the rut and, and you're chasing the, the the bull while he's screaming and going crazy how like when did you start or do you still feel like you're learning uh but when did you get a grasp of of learning the terrain um i basically just kind of started first year i was out here so this was a, a benefit of mine i was single for the first couple of years i was out here so that's all i did I'd get off work, I'd go up the mountains, and I could take you to more spots I'll never go back to than spots I'll go back to. Um, that was a big thing. And then just kind of, they, you know, in the summertime, you'll you'll find elk at the higher elevations where it's cooler, you know, darker darker timber, and people aren't messing with them. So then once season rolls around, because they get pressured really bad here in Utah. I mean, there's a lot of hunters out here, and um, you just kind of, I don't know how to explain it, but you, you find these like little pockets where they might just be overlooked. They might be some, I like hunting thick stuff because in my mind, they feel safer there. And then I like hunting thick stuff because if you get one calling back to you, they have to come because it's too thick to see from a distance. So they have to at least come in somewhat closer to figure out, okay, is that an elk in there or what's going on? So, I kind of, and plus people don't like hunting the thick stuff. It's not fun walking over blowdowns and you know, thicker timber, but um, that's the stuff I like to hunt. So, you know, you people get this um, thing of the West where you get up on a ridge top and you just glass these hillsides, which it works. It does work. You can see them from a long way. But when it comes to calling and stuff, I like just getting in that thicker stuff, the nasty stuff where people might, ah, you know, I don't want to go in there. Um, you know, you, you break that. A lot of times too is if you don't do the thick stuff, you got to get like two miles or more from the road, right? And then you'll start seeing more more stuff. But um, yeah, honestly, just I spent and still am learning, spending a lot of time, you know. And then where you find sheds, like I shed hunt a lot in the spring, so usually, um, I mean, a lot of times where you find sheds, they'll they'll be there during season, but most of the time they're that's like the lowest elevation they'll go to. You know what I mean? Yep. And then during the season, they'll be up higher, especially early in the season. They'll be at those higher elevations. So it's it just, it's kind of like just feeling it out from year to year. And, and things change from year to year, depending on how much rain we get and stuff like that. So no, that's good stuff because I think to what Dimitri and I even went through this past scouting season for Whitetail. Uh, it's, we look, say you look at the map and we're like, man, that ridge looks really good. Or that looks like a good drainage or wherever you're, you're thinking of using these terms. It, most people will find that as well, <laughs> you know, and, and our thing, exactly. you know, what we've noticed was, you know, we're, we, we would have all these waypoints and we would go look and we would not see anything, but then like 
maybe three minutes later as we're continuing walking after we just made some more waypoints we're like oh boom there's a stand oh boom there's yep. a trail camera so it's like mm -hmm. almost like finding and it, it, if it means going deeper it means going deeper but it's also trying to find like okay if someone's here and we notice if we came from this direction there's more stands more trail cameras where where are these deer going to you know and that's when they get pressure yep, yep, when absolutely. they're getting pressure so that's where we're trying to find and it kind of seems like it's, it's exactly what you're doing out there as well like how you said trying to find that that thick nasty stuff where you know that you like you brought up a perfect point where if you're an elk you know you're getting away but man if you if you hear something and that animal hears you they're going to be curious to know okay i i'm I'm safe here because of how thick it is. And I haven't been pressured down here. So, you know, like you said, right. you're, you're going to put yourself in a great opportunity. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then, you know, like back East, uh, you know, big thing that I would always, me, you know, me and Marcus and a couple other boys we hunt with is it's almost, especially if you hunt the same similar areas each year, you know, if there's beans in this field this year or if there's corn, it changes things a little bit. If you have a good, you know, um, if the oak trees are dropping really good, that year you know like on a ridge that that ridge is probably a good spot to to start so you know like knowing those things over time you kind of pick up those little things like hey when the beans are in this field they do this if it's corn they do this but at this time you know and it's just kind of over time you just kind of gain all that knowledge and you just got to put it all together when season rolls around here's a question that i have uh specifically regarding like mule deer when it comes to maybe even some of the country that that we could be hunting in you know when you look at like how you said you watch videos of on youtube or for whoever and and you know they're they're glassing and they're hunting all different types of of areas what you know what are some of the things that you know, the technique as far as glassing, I know you, you talk about, you could be glassing for six hours straight and then mm -hmm. you finally see that deer and you're, you're, he's bedded down and you're just waiting another two hours until he gets up and you, you're making your moves and drawing all that. You know, what are uh, the question that I'm trying to get at is like, what for, for mule deer, the terrain that you're going through is like, okay, Hey, do, will we be even get glassing or are we just going to be going in trying to find deer and, and finding that, that high point and, uh, trying to, to, to find a, find a deer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, for mule deer, especially early in the season, as long as they're not pressured, like that first week should be, if you can find one doing a certain thing, more than likely he's going to do the same thing the next day and the next day until someone messes with them. Um, there's this, uh, area that me and my one buddy hunt, for mule deer it, it's on the wasatch front which if you've ever heard of the wasatch front it is a crap shoot a lot of the time but if you can get them it's it, a lot of the area we hunt is that thick scrub oak but they're all on these big hillsides so you might sit there and in the morning you know, in the morning and then in the evening and just be glassing glassing and nothing but it's so thick that all of a sudden you look over and there's three bucks standing there and you're like where the hell did they come from right you know what i mean yeah so they they can hide in crazy little little pockets and then just pop up, you know? So that's, I mean, that's what I would say to you, like the first, you know, I know you don't want to just sit behind a glass all day and stuff, but first thing in the morning, if you can get on a high floor, you can see it as much as possible. Um, that's going to be a good indicator. If you see him going up into a, um, like an aspen patch, like over in that area where I kind of checked out a little bit, uh, there's a lot of aspens and they're all kind of like in these little, at least from what I saw, there are um, these little drainages and there is a couple little water holes that look like from what I saw on the maps in there. 
Um, if you can catch them in the one water hole, that would be a good one to glass is actually out of the timber. So you might see something coming out to get a drink or going back from there after they're feeding, going up into those timber patches. And now it's tough when they get into that timber where exactly they bed if you can't see in there. But at least you know, okay, that buck went up in there in the morning. If I can get my wind right and maybe go sit near that water, there's a good chance you're going to come back, get a drink, and you might be able to get a shot on them in the evening. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, what would you recommend for somebody that, you know, you say get boots on the ground and when your first trip you got to kind of scout out for a week, but someone that, you know, maybe we, our buddy Tim might get out there in July, hopefully, and, and do a little bit more groundwork for us. But if you go out there, you're picking spots on just on, on a map and you get out there and you're doing a little bit of hiking, how long, especially when you only have a limited number of days to hunt, are you sitting up on that spot before you kind of give up on it and want to move, you know, whether it's hiking a couple miles or even jumping in the truck and moving different location, how long should someone give that spot? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, well, so what I would say is if you glass a spot in the morning and you don't see any, like nothing because you guys are at a limited schedule, I'd move in a little bit. You might not need to move far from that spot, but um, definitely go through kind of like, that's what I would do is in, the, in the morning, definitely glass. And if you're not seeing what you want to see or you don't see anything during the middle of the day, hike around, kind of see if you can find any sign or find any other good glassing points for maybe that evening and kind of just bounce like that. And then once you you know start seeing some more deer, then kind of hone in from there. Um, but with your limited time, I wouldn't it in one spot too long um now you guys have like what five days or something like that yeah we'll be out there five days probably about exactly okay so yeah i mean if he could get out in july that'd be great and i mean if he's coming this way let me know i'd hook up with him but um yeah that's that's the thing because you don't want to just i don't know i'm kind of a more i like if, if i'm not seeing something i'm gonna move you know what i mean i'm not gonna sit there and just wait and wait and wait and then okay i've got two days left and I haven't seen anything, you know. Um, so, yeah, I definitely would just, in the mornings and evenings, find good glassing locations from that are in just like, and like I said, it might only be one ridge further. And that next basin might just have a ton of deer. But it might be a mile further off the road where people aren't going into or people have pushed them back into there. You know what I mean? Right. Now, here's a, a gear question, something that we've been asking like all our 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 guests talking about Western style stuff. What's the one piece of gear that you highly recommend us uh, to bring? Uh, it could be silly. It could be something that life saving, just some, what's something that you were like, man, uh, I forgot that on this trip, but I will never forget that again. Or man, this is something that I, I, I needed and thank goodness I had it. Good boot. <laughs> that is my, um, after um, getting out West and, um, hiking around and blowing through some not as expensive boots, it's worth the money. Um, I wear I wear Zamberlins now, and they're not cheap, but they are worth their weight in gold. As far as you're, you're not getting blisters, and I mean they're just a, in my opinion, great boot. I know Crispy's a good boot. Um, I haven't I've never tried them, but um, I used to love Danners, uh, and I'm, and they still they still make a couple of their boots are, are really solid and they're that middle of the range 
um, price tag. But the newest ones they came out with, I hated them. They were the Azealias or something like that, not to throw them under the bus, but I blew through two pair. And I mean, their customer service was great. They sent me a brand new pair, but uh, yeah, they're not going to be a worm around like the campfire, but yeah, not for, you know, but yeah, definitely um, good boots was, would be number one. And number two, if you're, especially if you're not familiar with, well, I mean, you have Onyx now, so that yep. changes the game as far as GPS. So I that's, everybody knows about that now. So a good pack makes it, uh, especially if you're carrying weight around, it makes a huge difference. Uh, the first year I went out, I had a Tenzing because they were a little bit cheaper price point. They make a good pack. Um, and then I upgraded to a Mystery Ranch. Yep. Also a very good pack. I like that one a lot. Um, but this past year, I got a Kafaru, which now they're pricey. But man, they are nice. So, um, yeah, especially when you're carrying weight and how, it, how it's distributed. Um, it holds on with the Kafaru, it holds on your hips really nice and not ripping your shoulders out. You know what I mean? Yep. So, um, yeah, definitely a little bit nicer pack. But like I said, the Mystery Ranch is a little bit less expensive and a very good pack. And then I know Exo makes great packs. I just haven't been able to hunt with one yet, but I've definitely tried them on and stuff, and, and they're awesome as well. No, that's good stuff, just because, I, again, uh, the good news is for Dimitri and I, you know, we had a lot of the gear already. You know, it's just right. the, that little nitpicking things of like, oh, let's get this, let's get that, uh, that mm-hmm. that you do need. You know, it's it's even like, right. camp, it's even camp stuff. Uh, but I would say definitely the biggest purchase that I made uh, as far as this trip was my pack. And the, I'm here's what I, I looked at it two ways. Uh, well, really one way. I looked at it as a sense that, one, it's an investment that could get me through not only this trip uh, and hopefully more Western style trips as well, but then also I'll be able to use this pack uh, during whitetail season. And that's exact. I even used it uh, this past spring for turkey season because I got it like at the end of whitetail season. Uh, it was the exo pack is what I'm talking about. And uh, oh, nice. so I have the, the 4,800 bag attached to the new K3 frame, but then I also have like the day bag. Uh, and, and that's the, you know, one I use mainly for turkey hunting. And man, it, 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 like you said, it's it's amazing of what, uh, you're able to to put on in that bag and and what you could carry and I know Kafaru is is just right up there as well just because of of you know Aaron's just a, a wonderful awesome person in, in this industry but um, puts out a great product but it, heck even this past weekend I went out and did some habitat work with my dad up on the club and I was carrying some heavy stuff and I just said hey throw it in the bag and it was finally like the first time that I could I had like a lot more weight than I've been used to just working out with right now and uh, yeah. I, I was impressed because the the North road where we walk up is, is not a uh, piece of cake short. You know, it, it, my dad was like, well, this is good for you for getting ready for Utah. I'm like, I know I wish I lived here because I would <laughs> run up and down this road like a hundred times a day just to get ready for right. it. I'd be, I'd be running up the Hills in Utah, but uh, no, man, I, I couldn't agree more. And I know we had Josh Kirshner on the dialed in hunter. Who's, you know, he's, that's his niche right now is the hunting back country. And he does it with all everything on his, on his, uh, back. And, uh, that's the one thing too, that Josh mentioned was, you know, having a, a, a killer pack. Yeah, mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, I think that's the hardest thing for people being out East going West, uh, Western style hunting is, you know, it's, it's a bit, the, the packs are high price tag and the, the boots are high price tag. So, you know, a lot of it's trying to figure out gear that you can use for east and west that way you know you can kind of feel like you're getting use out of that gear 
uh, you know, because if you would just buy Western stuff and you only get out there every other year, that just that's a lot of money to be sitting there on your shelf and not being used. So I think that's the biggest thing for us out east is trying to figure out of what's going to work best for us within our budget, but we can also use in both scenarios as well. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Awesome, man. Well, hey, we're just uh, shy of that hour, and uh, man, this was a fun conversation. We really enjoyed having you on, and uh, man, I learned a lot <laughs> just like writing, think, writing stuff down, and just thinking of uh, of what the homework that we could hopefully get done, and uh, you know, be prepared when we come out there. It, man, I by the time this airs it will be like in a couple weeks so yeah i'm sure you'll be sick of us by the time uh august rolls around from us uh trying to get some pointers from you so just be prepared oh, no. you guys are more than welcome anytime I, I don't i don't mind at all i like always talking hunting so awesome wesson well hey man uh where could people find find more information about you and and uh, hit you up on social media if, if possible yeah um just wesson snyder four um on instagram that's a, that's pretty much the one I use the most. So, good stuff, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I'm sure people got so, something out of it because I know we did. And uh, everybody, make sure you go check out Weston. Very successful hunter out there. And I uh, hope you enjoyed this one. So, until next time, Antler up. And that's a wrap for this latest episode of the Antler Up podcast with Wesson. Thank you again, all, all of you, for listening. I uh, hope you got something out of it. We sure did. Man, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be heading out west to Utah. We're extremely, extremely, extremely excited for it. Uh, I can't tell you uh, how much we are uh, dialing in the gear and getting everything ready, mapping out our food, all that type of stuff. Um, so thank you again, everyone, for that continued support. It truly, truly means the world to us. And... Uh, if you like what you heard, please go leave that positive review, subscribe to the channel, subscribe to our YouTube, our Instagram, all that stuff. Uh, it helps us out. Uh, and uh, till next time, everyone, keep shooting straight, keep scouting, and antler up.